Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this February 2011 episode, we'll be celebrating Black History Month. So we'll kick things off by checking in on the latest happenings in the genealogy world with Jamie Royce, who is guest blogging on the Genealogy Insider blog. Then in our top tips segment, genealogy author and instructor Tim Pinnock will give us some tips on how to find African-American ancestors in newspapers from his upcoming article on the subject that will appear in the May 2011 issue of the magazine. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots, we'll be looking at a terrific website specializing in African-American research. It's called Afrogenius.com, and we'll do that with its founder, Valencia King-Nelson. Then our own in-house preservationist, Grace Dobush, will be here with another installment of Safekeeping. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Grace is going to come back and share some research tips from some Family Tree University webinars focusing on state research. And then we'll check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who has some additional resources for African-American research. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy News with Jamie Royce. Well, normally we kick off the podcast with the news from the blogosphere with the Genealogy Insider blogger Diane Haddad. But Diane is home enjoying her wonderful new baby boy. So a big congratulations to Diane and her husband. And I'm very happy to report that we are going to still get the scoop because Jamie Royce has been filling in for Diane on the blog and she's here to tell us what's new. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, it kind of looks like our paths have been crossing quite a bit lately this last month. Not only have I been kind of joining in to help out and fill in on the Genealogy Insider blog, but we've been involved in a couple of fascinating interview sessions relating to the brand new season of Who Do You Think You Are? So tell us what you have been reporting on the Genealogy Insider blog. Well, um, I've actually been lucky enough to um, speak with uh, Lisa Kudrow, who is the executive, who is the producer of Who Do You Think You Are, as well as Vanessa Williams, who was the subject of the first episode, and um, Rosie O'Donnell, um, who was a um, who was a subject of another episode. They both seem to have some very interesting ancestry. Um, Vanessa has, um, if you haven't seen the first episode, <laughs> you don't might not want to listen, but um, in case, but if you have. Um, she has a great, rich history, which she explores two of her great-great-grandfather's lives. And um, just to hear her kind of talk about um, how that really changed her perspective about who she was, because she didn't necessarily know that she was descended from a slave, and that one of her uh, great-grandfathers was one of the first black men in the Tennessee um, state legislature, and that her other great-grandfather served in the Civil War and actually liberated slaves and this is and that has really changed her and she was like really excited to um, share that with her family and also with Rosie she had a rough time in her childhood because her mother actually died when she was a child and never really spoke of her again and just being able to um, kind of look at her mother's side and learn a lot about her mother really changed her outlook on her life and just being able to share that with her family was a great experience for her and it's actually like sparked her doing 
a one-woman show about her mother's life and just kind of researching a lot about her mom. So, yeah, it was really interesting to get to talk to them and have, share those experiences. Yeah, it was it was really neat because you kind of you get involved in the show and you watch them go through the process, but to have a chance to sit back and talk with them for a few minutes about kind of really what it meant. Um, well, first of all, it was amazing, wasn't it, when Vanessa actually got to see that tintype that came out of that file <laughs> at the archives. That was incredible. And you could see the impact that it had on her. And I think all of us watching were kind of like, oh, if that should only happen to me, that would be amazing. And then, like you said, Rosie, having a mother who died of breast cancer at such a young age and the family not talking about her pretty much since then, you know, here she is finally having an opportunity to speak her name talk about her and share her with the world it's it's a pretty powerful show isn't it yeah it just seemed like a very therapeutic process for both of them and um yeah i just it's just an amazing thing because you know these are celebrities but people all like everyone probably has something at least something exciting in their ancestry and just kind of seeing this and just a lot of people are so disconnected from their roots and seeing when you connect with where you came from, the impact it has on your life and like it brings history to life and these celebrities are kind of showing that to the world through their experiences and finding their past. Exactly. Well, if you would like to read all of Jamie's notes and information about these interviews that, that she's been involved in, you can find them on the Genealogy Insider blog. And of course, you've been uh, covering lots of other different topics. So Will you be uh, helping out through what, like the next month or two? Um, I think it's through. Uh, I think mid-April is when I will. I will continue to blog and uh, hang. I still stick around here at Family Tree. So great! You're going to become quite a seasoned blogger. <laughs> Glad <laughs> to have you join the ranks, Jamie. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, you're welcome. research on African-American ancestors is a challenging proposition. Newspapers can provide a critical link to research success once the genealogist learns some important general knowledge along with a few essential skills. Well, author and national speaker Tim Pinnock is a recognized specialist in black newspaper research, and he's the author of Finding and Using African-American Newspapers. And he's here to share some tips from his Family Tree University class called Finding African-American Ancestors in Newspapers, Research Strategies for Success, as well as his upcoming article in the May 2011 issue of the magazine. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Lisa. Great to have you here. Looking forward to learning more about this topic. Just to start off, now, you mentioned in the, in the syllabus for the class that sometimes there are some popular myths about using predominantly white newspapers for African-American research. And of course, there's a lot of newspapers out there, but they don't tend to be the African-American newspapers that we find digitally online. What are some of those myths? Can we use some of the predominantly white newspapers for African-American research? Uh, The answer to that question, I would say, is a resounding yes. Um, I think with pretty much everything, Lisa, you you have people that are out there that kind of uh, have uh, maybe lack of success with something, and then they talk about that, and then the, the myth kind of gets perpetuated, and then all of a sudden it seems to be a big thing when it really was something for, pretty small or isolated. Uh, and that's the case with, with uh, using white newspapers. Uh, the biggest myth that's out there, and it's well-traveled, is that people say tend to say that that the white newspapers really had nothing to say about African Americans, 
And when they did have things to say, it was always of a derogatory nature. It was things that, uh, you know, had to do with crime or their lack of effort, uh, uh, lack of intelligence, and just different things that were, that were negative and nothing really positive. Um, and although that certainly was the case, and some newspapers particularly were, were uh, bigger offenders than others, uh, white or mainstream newspapers, as I call them, really, really have a lot to offer African Americans, there's lots of things in them, and if you if you discard them, you really do at your own risk because there's things that are in those papers that may not show up in other papers. Um, if I can give you a great example, uh, I think that you will tend to find a lot of African Americans, uh, particularly slaves, that show up in white newspapers, and uh, particularly in the South, but all over. And it's because of their relationship. I mean, they still maintain, maintain those relationships in those communities with the, uh, the former uh, enslavers and, and, uh, and, and in a lot of cases because they're still around there and they're known uh, when they die, particularly turn of the century uh, entries up to about 1930 or so, you find really nice articles on them. You know, former slave dies, you know, and it's really a big deal in a lot of those papers, and they put it right in there. And you get to see, you know, who the former slave owner is, and different other details about, you know, that particular uh, uh, ancestor, potential ancestor, that you would not have found anywhere else, or if you find it in the black newspaper, not in as much detail as in that white newspaper. Oh, exactly. So we don't want to limit our thinking about this, but know that there's always that possibility, and that it might occur later in years, not necessarily at the time of the occurrence of some of those situations, but it might be something later down the road or an obituary. And, and that brings to mind, were there African-American newspapers? And if so, you know, when did they first begin, and, and was there particular geographic areas that you might find those? The papers usually, they, they started before the war, or before the Civil War. Uh, I think that the first African-American newspaper, I want to say 1827 in New York, um, and actually I, I can't recall the name of the paper right now, but it's, it's actually online. Um, that particular paper, you can find it. But uh, the paper started around that time period. But what uh, was also there was a lot of abolitionist papers. And so you had papers that weren't necessarily black-owned uh, newspapers, and that 1827 paper was the first one. And then it kind of went on from there. Uh, most of my research kind of really picks up with the end of the Civil War, so in that uh, Reconstruction time period. And that's really when newspapers took off it kind of took the shape and form that, that uh, most people recognize. Before the Civil War, of course, a lot of it had to do with uh, abolitionist movements and that type of thing. And there were things in those newspapers that are of value for sure, runaway slave type stuff and whatever. But when you get past that, when you get to Reconstruction, now you're talking about papers with a specific focus, and their focus is on the African-American community, the, you know, these millions of, of newly freed slaves, and focusing on what can we do to make their lives, you know, now, from henceforward, you know, what do we do to, to, to enrich those lives and to give them focus and things like that? And that's what black newspapers did. They focused in on talking about those African-Americans and talking about the opportunities, talking about the African-Americans that were having success, and just a myriad of different things that were very, very valuable to uh, African-Americans that had no direction, you know, coming out of slavery. Oh, exactly. And, I mean, these would be fascinating articles to find if 
we are new to this kind of research. What are some of the tips? I know that you just uh, you have an article coming out in the May 2011 issue, and you have some great tips in there. Where would a person start in, in trying to research African-American ancestors in newspapers? Um, there are, uh, fortunately, a, a couple of um, uh, different what I call finding aids, and there's three major ones. Uh, one of the ones that these are all in book form, one is by Barbara, and I always probably pronounce her name wrong, uh, Henritzi, uh, and she has a book called a Bibliographic Checklist of African-American Newspapers. And uh, there's, I think, over 5,000 entries in there uh, organized by state and then city and then title. But uh, it's a great book. However, it is, and people need to be aware, researchers, when they're starting out, that this particular guide is a checklist, which means that it's going to, or Barbara went in and listed all the newspapers that she could find or every reference to an African-American newspaper from any whatever source, and then she, you know, put it in the book. And so some of those, you know, uh, are extant papers, meaning they're out there and they exist. Others were ones that they never found copies of, so you can't really search those particular ones. So that's an important distinction for researchers. And the second book I want to t- touch on is uh, African-American Newspapers and Periodicals. And this is na- it's called uh, a National Bibliography is the second part of the title by James Danke. And uh, this one has over close to 7,000 entries, I believe, and this particular book is what we would refer to as a union list, meaning that every paper that you find uh, in that particular publication will uh, be somewhere that you can find you know, a hard copy of that, a microfilm copy of that, uh, and use it. And so those are two really great resources to start. The third one, which is online, which is uh, probably a favorite for many people because they can go online and use it, and that's uh, Chronicling America, which is on the Library of Congress's website. And that particular website, what's really neat about it is you can actually, when you get in there and start looking for newspapers, you select the find uh, option. Then you can select, you can actually select African-American newspapers, and then it'll go and just search for African-American newspapers and list all the ones that they have. And again, those are, those would be extant copies. So when you find them, they'll actually tell you what universities or repositories actually have those newspapers, which is terrific. Yeah, and Chronicling America, not only is it a fantastic website, but they're constantly adding to it, which I think is really exciting, because think of the holdings that the Library of Congress has. It's immense. So um, there's always potential that another gem is going to rise to the surface and, and become available. Pretty exciting to think about being able to to find that rich context about our ancestors. We love reading newspapers, and you've given us some really great places to start. You know, if you want to learn more about finding your African-American ancestors in newspapers, then you're really going to enjoy Tim's class. It's going to start up February 14th of 2011. So even if you're listening to this episode after the class officially starts, you can still jump in because it's a non-credit class. It runs four full weeks. And the neat thing is that Genealogy Bank is sponsoring this class, and you can attend at a whopping 75% discount. The class is just $24.99 for the four-week session. It's an incredible deal, and you're going to have online access to Tim and be able to ask him questions and his working knowledge of the subject. And of course, then keep an eye out for his great article coming out in the May 2011 issue of the magazine. Tim, thank you so much for giving us some great tips on how to get started in finding these newspaper articles. Wonderful to have you here on the show. 
Thank you very much, and I, I appreciated the opportunity to talk to you in the audience. Thanks. When it comes to African ancestor genealogical research, the Afrogenius website is one of the go-to resources. And to take us on a tour of this, one of the original founders of Afrogenius is here, and that's Valencia King Nelson. Welcome to the show, Valencia. Thank you very much, Lisa. I'm glad to be here. Well, you really are one of the pioneers of online genealogy. Um, I know that Afrogenius started way back in 1999. At least that's kind of way back in internet terms. But you were involved really with the online research well before then, weren't you? Tell us about the origins of your online genealogical research. Well, in about 1988, we started what now is Afrogenius with what we call Trax. And Trax was able to, with the old BBS system, start doing introductions of people to their research. We had a a group in New York who would pick up the mail every day and batch it and send it back to everybody who would put queries in. Oh. That's sort of how we got started. But at that time, the Internet had no GUI. It was nothing like it is now. We were crawling through the back halls of uh, NASA at the time. Exactly. (laughs) Wow. And then we went to Prodigy and started a site there, moved to America Online with some wonderful people, and started doing uh, chats with the America Online uh, genealogy site. And then we boosted ourselves up to what we now call Afrogenius. It sounds like what you guys really tapped into early on was not necessarily being concerned with, you know, oh, are digitized records ever going to come online? But you were really tapping into the connecting element of the Internet, weren't you? Getting people together. And that is correct. That's what we were doing. We had a thing we called the Black Net, and that was connecting people all across the nation through this Black Network. And it was going well. We were frustrated at the time because our concern was, where are the records? We can find no records. And uh, so we started trying to create our own, then determined that there are records. We just have to know how to find them and how to utilize them. And then you're able to share with each other where they were located, how you got them, and you start building that whole brain trust of people all over the country. Now, were you involved in technology or computers at all before? or Because you jumped in real early. Jumped in real early, did not know a thing about technology, but taught myself with the assistance of the other people who were in this network. And that's how I got to where I am right now. I think that's fantastic because it's a great example of how if we really have a need, we can certainly find a way to figure out how to do something. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I I taught myself to a large extent how to do what I do. Exactly. And now I know you have this really comprehensive Afrogenius website 
there online now that's part of the World Wide Web. And tell us when a new visitor comes to the website, what are they going to find and, and what's the best way for them to kind of interact with you? The best way is to start with our home page. And of course, Lisa, as you know, one can never tell where a person will start because there are links everywhere. Yeah. And the links go to where they want to go. But we would prefer, if possible, if they would start with our home page. On the home page, we do have a site map. And I'm not sure always that people know what the site map means. But going there is the next best place to do. Now, we have some 26 forums. And since most people are concerned, or at least so it seems, with their surnames, our surname forum is a very, very popular site. People put their queries or what they need to know there. And we have hundreds of volunteers who respond to the queries that people have. It's a wonderful opportunity because we were social networking before the term was defined. <laughs> before Facebook ever was, right? <laughs> oh, way before Facebook. <laughs> uh, and I, I noticed you also do chats. You know, you mentioned that you guys would get together and you would talk online or you'd talk in person, but you have your, your lunch bunch chats. Tell us about those. Well, we have uh, lots of chats. Those that are standard are the lunch bunch, and people get together around 11 o'clock during the day and chat about various things until about 2.30. We've just extended it to 3.30. The chats include help with finding family, help with knowing what tools to use, help with techniques, and help with the new technologies that we are learning about. We're learning how to do blogs. I don't blog, but I'm learning how blogging works. I see the necessity for such things. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also, in addition to the lunch bunch, we chat on Tuesday night, every Tuesday night. That's a standard chat. And we chat on Saturday evenings. And the Saturday evening chat is set up primarily, at least it was in the beginning, to talk about researching the slave period. Mm -hmm. On Sunday morning, we have what we call Sunday morning brunch, and that goes from about 11.30 until 2. And in the Sunday morning brunch, we are designed to learn about resources, tips, and techniques. Anybody can start a chat at any time. Oh. The rooms are open 24 hours, and whatever two people decide to chat about is up to them in relation to their research genealogically. Exactly. And it it sounds like uh, you're on the East Coast, so would those times you're mentioning be more East Coast times? The, the times are all East Coast. Okay, great. So they they can get involved, they can chat one-on-one, -on -one, or they can just probably join in and get a feel for, for how you guys go about your chats, but they can certainly learn from people who are already knee-deep in their research. 
And in addition to all this connection, I can see that you have a lot of links to records. And some of them are very specific and some are more general. Do your members post some of their collections online and then link to that? Or what kind of things will we find in terms of records? Well, in terms of records, we have a set of slave research records where people from all communities have contributed slave information that we use. We have uh, links back to Roots Web for specific information. We have our own library, which has data that people can use. We have contributors who do articles periodically. And then we link back to our member pages, our member blogs, and our member podcasts. So there's just an awful lot of great content there for for people to tap into in a variety of ways, whatever kind of suits your needs. I I can really see why this website has survived so long and is thriving so well right now. I mean, it seems like, um, you know, some websites would start up and then they just kind of fade away. What do you think is the reason for your success and the fact that it's still going so strong? Well, I guess I would say we are one of a kind in that when we started, as you and I mentioned in the beginning, there was no resource for doing African ancestor research. People were met with, oh, it can't be done, oh, you poor thing. And then we stopped listening to the negative and turned (laughs) that around. Good. How can we do research? Research is research. Now what we have to do is find the records. Now the other thing that's I guess unique and drives us, is that we have a camaraderie, a social network that's very tight. We have volunteers who are outstanding to the maximum. Mm -hmm. And many of those volunteers have been with us for 20 years or better. And so we know each other rather well. We don't get angry with each other very often. (laughs) (laughs) And so that keeps us moving in a smooth way. Well, it, it certainly works in a very effective way. And I encourage all of you listening, if you have any African ancestry that you're looking into, or if you just want to see how it's done well online, how people can get together and connect and help each other. There is so much to be learned from the AfroGenius website. You'll find it at AfroGenius.com. We'll have a link to it directly in the show notes. And Valencia, it's been wonderful talking with one of the pioneers of online genealogy research. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Hi everyone, this is Grace, the preservation expert here at Family Tree Magazine. Black History Month is a great time to explore your roots. I'm going to tell you about two major projects dedicated to preserving African American heritage in this edition of Safekeeping. The Smithsonian Institute is planning to open a museum dedicated to black history in 2015. The National Museum of African American History and Culture will be in Washington, D.C., featuring exhibits and programs about the African American experience. This includes everything from early slavery to the Reconstruction, the Harlem Renaissance, and the Civil Rights Movement. 
construction on the museum is set to start next year, but for the time being, there's a gallery dedicated to black culture at the National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C. But the museum's website is already bursting with good information. Last year, the museum ran a program called Save Our African American Treasures that toured the U.S. and helped people learn how to preserve their heirlooms. Visit our show notes page to find a link to the museum's preservation advice. If you have an item of historical or cultural importance you think the National Museum of African American History and Culture might be interested in, you can download a donation form on its website, nmaahc.si.edu. You can also contribute a photo and story to the virtual memory book or listen to StoryCorps recordings. If you haven't already heard of it, StoryCorps is an awesome project. Anyone can participate and interview a friend or relative about an important moment in their lives, no matter how big or how small. And now the StoryCorps GRIO initiative is preserving stories of African Americans. A GRIO is a West African word for storyteller. This was an important person in the community who kept and shared that community's history. You can get involved with the GRIO initiative, too. See the podcast show notes page for information and links. I especially like their list of suggested questions for GRIOs. Can you talk about how your family or you participated in the civil rights movement? Can you remember when you first learned that you're African-American? What was that like for you? Have any stories about slavery been passed down to you? Those are good questions for anyone conducting black family history interviews, say, at your next family reunion. You can learn more about the National Museum of African American History and Culture and the StoryCorps GRIO project on the podcast show notes page. Until next time, stay safe. time for the Family Tree University Crash Course segment. And joining me in this segment is Grace Dobush, the online community editor for Family Tree University, to tell us about some upcoming webinars. Hi, Grace. Hello, Lisa. Well, I know the new webinars coming up. Uh, we've got a couple in March and April that are focusing on a couple of particular states. Tell us what we can look forward to. Yeah, we've got um, our next genealogy crash course is going to be uh, March 16th, and that's going to be focused on Ohio, which, as we know, is the heart of it all. And um, that's going to be really great because uh, Diana Smith, one of our frequent um, uh, she's a frequent contributor, and she's also one of our Family Tree University teachers. Um, she's hosting that, and she's also going to have a number of expert panelists, including uh, professional genealogist Jana Broglin. So, um, I mean, Ohio is where Family Tree Magazine is based, so of course it's um, a, a topic that we are uh, <laughs> definitely experts at. Yes. <laughs> and then um, after that, in April, we're going to do a uh, genealogy crash course on South Carolina, uh, timed uh, right before the NGS conference, the big national conference in Charleston, South Carolina in May. So that'll be a good introduction. If you're going to the NGS conference, you can get an idea of what type of um, materials you might be on the lookout for. You know, you'll learn in the webinar which things are online and which things aren't. So that could help you prepare um, if you're going to South Carolina to uh, know what you're looking for. Oh, perfect timing. And of course, you know, 
there are folks all over the country listening who, and some of them might not be able to make it to NGS. So this is a great way to really get that kind of conference experience. You know, you get an hour webinar where you really sit down and, and interact with the instructors. Let's take a step back for a second and, and tell us, for those who may not have ever been involved in a webinar before, what is a webinar? How does it work? Well, a webinar is, it's like a conference class that you would go to, except you watch it on your computer, and you listen in either on your phone or over your computer speakers, and um, the instructor or the presenter will be showing a, uh, a presentation while they're also speaking, and there are usually some website search demos in there too, so you can learn how websites work that are particular to that topic you're learning about. And you also get to ask questions. Um, you uh, you get to type them in a little chat box, and uh, we try to get to as many of them as possible. Um, but our state our state webinars have been really popular because I I think a lot of people will remember our state research guides from a few years ago in the magazine. Right. They were so popular and everyone was excited to see when their ancestors' state was going to come up. And so we decided to kind of get back to that a little bit. And so we've been we've been doing these state webinars for a little while now. But. Um, yeah, they're they're really fun, and we usually bring in a number of experts on the state uh, to speak about resources, you know, tricks that you won't hear anywhere else, you know. But um, the really cool thing about the webinars too is that if you have ancestors who lived in a different state from where you live now, so often you can't afford to take a big research trip to go back to. Alabama or New York or wherever they wherever they lived so we really focus on research methods for long distance ancestor hunting exactly and and anyone can pretty much participate you just have to have a, a computer uh, a telephone you can call in and listen or if you have speakers built into your computer you can listen that way but it's pretty quick and easy access, and, and boy, you're just right there in the middle of it. Now, I know that you've already done a couple of webinars. Um, there was Massachusetts and New York. Do you have any good research tips for us from maybe some of the ones you've done in the past? Yeah, the, the Massachusetts genealogy crash course was really interesting because we had um, two genealogists from the New England Historic Genealogical Society, which is an amazing resource for anybody who has New England roots. We had David Dearborn and David Lambert oh, perfect. Um, from NEHGS, and then we also had Midge Frazel, who um, is an FTU instructor. So we were just chatting away for an hour. We, <laughs> we really kind of got carried away. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I really appreciated their insight into immigration into Massachusetts. You know, everyone thinks of the Mayflower. They think of those early colonial immigrants, the pilgrims and all that. But I really liked learning about how the immigration to Massachusetts had patterns. So, you know, they pointed out that before 1880, most of the immigrants were English and Scottish. And then around the 1840s, the Irish started coming in in mass. And there were a lot of Canadians coming in in the 1870s. And then after 1880, you saw a lot of Italian and Portuguese immigrants. And then in the early 1900s, you started to see Eastern Europeans. Um, and I thought that was so interesting because, um, you know, sometimes we've got an idea of, you know, 
who our ancestors were or when they might have come by, but knowing these patterns can help you focus a little bit more in terms of what decade to look at. You know, if you had, say, Portuguese ancestors and the family lore was that, oh, you know, the, you know, great-great-grandma came over in, like, 1810, that seems... Or, you know, your ancestors came over in the early 1800s. You know, this would make you maybe think perhaps they were actually coming over in the late 1800s because most of the Portuguese immigrants didn't arrive until that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just find that really fascinating. So it wasn't as haphazard as we might think. We were getting in that needle in a haystack mode. But in reality, if you know the... I guess the context and the history, then you have a better sense of kind of where to look because there was some rhyme and reason to it, it sounds like. Definitely. The immigrants often, you know, they traveled kind of in flocks. There were, if, if, you know, a number of people from your ancestral hometown started going to Massachusetts, you know, that could be when your ancestors started going to Massachusetts, for example. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, knowing the history of your ancestral homeland as well helps you out to that effect. Uh, There might have been some reason for a mass migration to the United States, uh, such as a economic depression or a, a war in your homeland. You know, anything like that could cause these patterns of migration. And, you know, another really valuable resource that um, we mentioned in the Massachusetts crash course, but it's applicable for any state, is the um, Atlas of Historical County Boundaries, Mm. which is a website um, done by the Newberry Library in Chicago. They spent years putting this atlas together, and it's interactive, and you can select a state, such as Massachusetts, and pick any date between the early 1600s and the modern day, and it will show you exactly how the county boundaries looked on that specific day. Right. So it's amazing for, you know, if you're dealing with land records or trying to figure out which county a town was in at a certain time, this website is invaluable. And we'll probably mention it in every single <laughs> every single one of these state <laughs> webinars because I just can't get enough of it. <laughs> well, and that's the kind of thing that you're going to learn in the webinars because you're getting a chance to interact with the experts who have kind of done it all and, and know where the good nuggets are. Um, if you want to sign up for the upcoming webinars, the Ohio one in March or South Carolina in April, you can head over to FamilyTreeUniversity.com Or um, you can even register through Shop Family Tree, can't you? Yes, absolutely. That's what I thought. And over at Shop Family Tree, you'll also find that Massachusetts Genealogy Crash Course, Find Your Bay State Ancestors On Demand Webinar. You can pick that up at Shop Family Tree as well as the one that was on New York. So even after they're done, if you didn't get a chance to attend live, you can also pick up a recorded version of that at ShopFamilyTree.com. Well, Grace, as always, fun. We learned a lot. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Lisa. Well, as we wrap up this February 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, Allison, our theme for this episode has been celebrating Black History Month. What are some of the resources that you have for us that we can kind of tuck into our genealogical tool belt for African-American research? Well, 
Uh, earlier in the episode, you spoke with Tim Pinnock, who's the instructor of our Finding African American Ancestors in Newspapers course, and he obviously had some great tips. Well, hopefully that whetted your appetite for the course, and if you're interested in taking it, we have a really special deal this month. Um, thanks to a partnership and sponsorship from Genealogy Bank, which, as many of you know, offers access to digitized historical newspapers, including a really outstanding African-American newspaper collection. Mm -hmm. Um, We're able to offer Tim's course on tracing your African-American roots for a super duper discount this month. Um, The course is just $24.99 for the February 14th session. And so um, although this episode is just coming out as the class is starting. We do hold registration open for a little bit beyond the start date. That course does last for four weeks, so there's still time to get in at that really special price of $24.99. That is a 75% discount off the regular price, so want to make sure people know about it and get the opportunity to take advantage of it at that discount. Oh, that's fantastic. Gosh, 75% off. <laughs> you can't pass that one nope, up. Can't beat that deal. <laughs> and you also have um, kind of an ultimate collection. Tell us about that. Right. Well, I introduced the ultimate collection idea a little bit last month um, in that it's a different kit every month where you can get a collection of products that our editors and staff have handpicked around a certain theme. And this month's theme is African-American research. And so we've got a selection of products that is available, um, again, at a really deep discount. I think it's around 50 or 60% off of the regular retail price. And it's being offered for $49.99. So you get the independent study version of Tim's course along with some digital downloads and other resources that will help you with your research, um, just be including the class, but beyond the class. And again, that's $49.99. But the key here is there's only 100 of those kits available at that special price. So once they're gone, they're gone. If it's something that interests you, be sure to go on shopfamilytree.com and um, get your order in right away because they're selling out fast. Yeah, I can imagine at that price. So we'll have a link that will take them directly to Tim's class as well as that ultimate collection in the Shop Family Tree. And uh, boy, lots of terrific resources. Um, It's wonderful to know that there are so many great resources for African-American research because, of course, the old myth was there's nothing. And, of course, there is. So this is pretty exciting. Thanks so much for joining us here, Allison. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this February 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. It's at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Next, go to familytreemagazine.com podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including links to Shop Family Tree, where you can pick up the research resources that Allison told us about and the recorded state research webinars that Grace mentioned. And then head on over to check out AfroGenius.com, where you can collaborate with other African-American researchers and find out where some of the best records are. And finally, consider signing up for one of the upcoming state research webinars that Grace told us about at FamilyTreeUniversity.com. If you have any questions or comments, please do email me at ftmpodcast 
at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website at genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both those shows are also available in iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.